I invite you to turn with me to our reading for this afternoon, which comes to us from Exodus chapter 16. Exodus 16, in connection with uh, Lord's Day 50, which deals with the fourth petition, give us this day our daily bread. Exodus chapter 16. This describes the journey of the Israelites through the desert, through the wilderness, after the Egyptian army had been drowned in the Red Sea. And it says that they set out from Elim, and all the congregation of the people of Israel came to the wilderness of Sin, which is between Elim and Sinai, on the 15th day of the second month after they had departed from the land of Egypt. And the whole congregation of the people of Israel grumbled against Moses and Aaron in the wilderness. And the people of Israel said to them, Would that we had died by the hand of the Lord in the land of Egypt, when we sat by the meat pots and ate bread to the full. For you have brought us out into this wilderness to kill this whole assembly with hunger. Then the Lord said to Moses, Behold, I am about to rain bread from heaven for you. And the people shall go out and gather a day's portion every day that I may test them, whether they will walk in my law or not. On the sixth day, when they prepare what they bring in, it will be twice as much as they gather daily. So Moses and Aaron said to all the people of Israel, At evening you shall know that it was the Lord who brought you out of the land of Egypt. And in the morning you shall see the glory of the Lord, because he has heard your grumbling against the Lord. For what are we that you grumble against us? And Moses said, When the Lord gives you in the evening meat to eat and in the morning bread to the full, because the Lord has heard your grumbling, that you grumble against him, what are we? Your grumbling is not against us, but against the Lord. Then Moses said to Aaron, Say to the whole congregation of the people of Israel, Come near before the Lord, for he has heard your grumbling. And as soon as Aaron spoke to the whole congregation of the people of Israel, they looked toward the wilderness, and behold, The glory of the Lord appeared in the cloud. And the Lord said to Moses, I have heard the grumbling of the people of Israel. Say to them, At twilight you shall eat meat, and in the morning you shall be filled with bread. Then you shall know that I am the Lord your God. In the evening quail came up and covered the camp, and in the morning dew lay around the camp. And when the dew had gone up, there was on the face of the wilderness a fine flake-like thing. Find us frost on the ground. When the people of Israel saw it, they said to one another, What is it? For they did not know what it was. And Moses said to them, It is the bread that the Lord has given you to eat. This is what the Lord has commanded. Gather of it, each one of you, as much as he can eat. You shall each take an omer, according to the number of the persons that each of you has in his tent. And the people of Israel did so. They gathered some more, some less. But when they measured it with an omer, whoever gathered much had nothing left over, and whoever gathered little had no lack. Each of them gathered as much as he could eat. And Moses said to them, Let no one leave any of it over till the morning. But they did not listen to Moses. Some left part of it till the morning, and it bred worms and stank. And Moses was angry with them. 
Morning by morning they gathered it, each as much as he could eat. But when the sun grew hot, it melted. On the sixth day they gathered twice as much bread, two omers each. And when all the leaders of the congregation came and told Moses, he said to them, This is what the Lord has commanded. Tomorrow is a day of solemn rest, a holy Sabbath to the Lord. Bake what you will bake and boil what you will boil, and all that is left over lay aside to be kept till the morning. So they laid it aside till the morning as Moses commanded them, and it did not stink, and there were no worms in it. Moses said, Eat it today, for today is a Sabbath to the Lord. Today you will not find it in the field. Six days you shall gather it, but on the seventh day, which is a Sabbath, there will be none. On the seventh day some of the people went out to gather, but they found none. And the Lord said to Moses, How long will you refuse to keep my commandments and my laws? See, the Lord has given you the Sabbath. Therefore on the sixth day he gives you bread for two days. Remain each of you in his place. Let no one go out of his place on the seventh day. So the people rested on the seventh day. Now the house of Israel called its name manna. It was like coriander seed, white, and the taste of it was like wafers made with honey. Moses said, This is what the Lord has commanded. Let an omer of it be kept throughout your generations, so that they may see the bread with which I fed you in the wilderness when I brought you out of the land of Egypt. And Moses said to Aaron, Take a jar and put an omer of manna in it, and place it before the Lord to be kept throughout your generations. As the Lord commanded Moses, so Aaron placed it before the testimony to be kept. The people of Israel ate the manna forty years till they came to a habitable land. They ate the manna till they came to the border of the land of Canaan. And Omer is the tenth part of an ephah. So far, let us now also read the summary of Scripture as we have it in the Catechism, Lord's Day 50, dealing with the fourth petition, page 562. What is the fourth petition? Give us this day our daily bread, that is, provide us with all our bodily needs, so that we may acknowledge that you are the only fountain of all good and that our care and labor, and also your gifts, cannot do us any good without your blessing. Grant, therefore, that we may withdraw our trust from all creatures and place it only in you. Beloved congregation of our Lord Jesus Christ, this afternoon we're going to look at the fourth petition. Now this fourth petition is quite different when you look at it for the first time. It seems to be quite different from the first three. The first three dealt with what we might call spiritual things, the hallowing of God's name, the coming of his kingdom, the doing of his will. And then you get to the fourth petition, and that one seems almost out of place. Give us this day our daily bread. What could be more ordinary 
more, in some ways, unspiritual than our daily bread. Yet this petition covers more than just our daily needs. The Catechism goes on to explain what it actually means. Provide us with all our bodily needs, yes, but why? So that we may acknowledge that you alone are the only fountain of all good and that our care and labor and also your gifts cannot do us any good without your blessing. So this is not just a petition that is meant to ask God to support us physically. This is a petition in which we ask God to teach us to depend on him. In some ways, we are asking God to reveal himself to us through his gracious provision of our daily food. What could be more spiritual than that? We're asking him to teach us to trust in him. So this petition is not just about your daily bread. It's about learning to know God as the one who is gracious to sinners. Every day we have an opportunity to be reminded of that. Every day we are meant to praise God for his kindness in providing for us, even though we are sinners by nature. We are called to pray for that which we do not deserve, but can still expect our daily bread. Now, already in the Old Testament, God wanted his people to acknowledge him as the only fountain of all good. And it was something that didn't come to them naturally. They had to learn how to do that over time. They learned to rely on the manna that he provided for them in the desert. And of course, when they came to the promised land, they still continued to rely on him. But then he provided for them in different ways, in other ways. But he wanted his people to remember what he had taught them and not to take it for granted. So he commanded them to take some of that manna and to keep it in a jar. This jar of manna was kept in front of the ark and apparently later on in the ark. And it served as a witness between God and his people that he cared for them even when they did not deserve it. It also served as a witness that his care was something they could expect from him. So with that in mind, we're going to study the fifth petition this afternoon. We'll study it and and consider what what it commands us to pray to God for our daily bread. And we'll see that this means pray even though you do not deserve it, and pray because you can still expect it. So one thing we've often noticed in the past is that people tend to distinguish between spiritual and physical things. We say that physical things belong to the world around us, things that we can see. But spiritual things in our mind, in any case, occupy a different category. And as we've often seen, it's almost like we have two boxes for life. One box for what you can see and another box for what you can believe. And that can affect our prayer life. Right? Because in our, in our mind, prayer belongs in this spiritual realm. And then when, when, when all of your, your difficulties in life tend to be very physical, concrete things, it can sometimes be hard to believe that prayer would make any difference at all in those things. But that tells us more about ourselves than about prayer, doesn't it? It tells us that by nature we are materialists. We focus on the things that we see, everything else 
tends to recede into the background, and, and that way of thinking is really not that different from unbelievers. It's not a new problem. The Israelites had this problem as well. In a reading in Exodus 16, they, they focused only on what they saw. They were not able to pray the fourth petition, so to speak. They were not able to look to God alone as their source of daily bread and remember that this was right after they had seen the Pharaoh and his host drowned in the Red Sea. They'd seen God deliver this, deliver him. They'd seen the ten plagues already. And yet they still struggled in this area. So it goes to show how deeply this problem is rooted in the human soul. It's really something you need to learn over and over to depend on God for your daily bread. So that's why the manna was meant not just to, not just to feed them, but to teach them. They had to learn to trust Him every day. First, they had to learn that He was the one who provided the manna. Then they had to learn that they could depend on Him to continue doing that. See, these are actually two to related but distinct ideas that God provides, yes, but also that you can depend on Him. And some of them didn't believe that. Verse 20 says that they did not listen to Moses. When they saw the manna, they wanted to hoard it, and some left part of it till the morning, and it bred worms and stank. And, uh, and uh, that was an act of unbelief. That was why Moses was angry with them. They were only allowed to gather double on the sixth day because on, on the seventh day, it was a Sabbath. And then on the seventh day, some of them did the opposite of that. See, both times they did the opposite of what God told them to do. On the seventh, when they weren't supposed to go out, some of them went out to gather manna anyway. And the way God responds to that is very interesting. In verse 28, he says to them, he says to them, how long will you refuse to keep my commandments and my laws? That is a very strong response. There's an echo in here actually of what the Lord said to, through Moses to the Pharaoh in Exodus 10 verse 3. In Exodus 10 verse 3, we get another one of these how long questions. The Lord says to Pharaoh, how long will you refuse to humble yourself before me? Now here he says to his people, how long will you refuse to keep my commandments and my laws? It's, it's the very same kind of, uh, similar kind of a tone, same sort of thing to say to his people. And you, you ask yourself, why? Why did God speak to his own people in that way? Because their actions were motivated by unbelief. They didn't believe him. They didn't believe that he would keep his promise. They didn't believe that he would keep his word. They were no different at that point from the Pharaoh. And that is why they had to learn the lesson of the manna. They had to learn that they lived in a state of permanent dependence on his provision. So what does it tell us? It tells us that if we don't take this fourth petition seriously, we're actually flirting with unbelief. We are not taking the words of God seriously when he tells us that he is the giver of all good things. He wants us to be reminded of that, to acknowledge that as we pray the fourth petition. And he wants us to be reminded of that every day. That's why we have to pray for our daily bread, not our weekly bread or our monthly bread. Every day he wants us to go through this process of 
realizing our dependence on him and confessing that. Just like the Israelites had to do with the manna. It is actually a, a profound part of our worship. It is not just something that we say, but it is an act of conscious daily worship to pray for your daily bread. Because the people needed to be constantly reminded of God's provision, he ordered them to take a jar with an omer of manna in it as a reminder. Now our, our, our note at the end, verse 36, says uh, an omer is a tenth part of an ephah. That was meant to, to explain what an ephah was to later readers, but it's not helpful if you don't know what an omer is. So an omer is two liters. It's about two liters. So there was this two-liter jar of manna that, uh, that um, they had to take with them. And that two-liter jar of manna represented God's um, care for them through the desert journey. It represented God's faithfulness and looking after not just their spiritual needs, but their physical needs as well. Later on in Deuteronomy 8 verse 4, Moses is looking back on the desert journey. He's looking back on, on 40 years worth of faithfulness and he says to the people, your clothing did not wear out on you and your foot did not swell these 40 years. He's saying, look, you've had a, a terribly difficult journey for 40 years in the wilderness. And your children have grown up and they've never known any different. But God took care of you throughout all of those years. And the jar of manna was meant to remind them of that in the most personal way possible by keeping some of that food as an actual physical reminder in a jar. This jar was placed in the Lord's presence. Later on, it was placed in the tabernacle. And according to Hebrews 9 verse 4, it ended up being put in the ark itself. So if, if you think about that, you get this, this jar of manna in the very presence of God, as close to God as you can get in the ark itself as a sign of his provision and faithfulness for his people. So this is not something that is, is um, remotely removed from God, so to speak. This was a part of, uh, this was in his very presence, this jar. It showed in the clearest possible way that he was a God who cared for them, who gave them their daily bread. It was meant as an object lesson. As long as they would live in a right relationship with God, they would be okay. So it was stored under, under the mercy seat, under the, the place that was, would receive on the Day of Atonement the sprinkling of blood from the hands of the priest, the sprinkling of blood. And, and it reminded them God provided for their spiritual needs through the animal sacrifices through which he forgave sin, and so things were well between them and God, and so he provided for their material needs as well, and that was symbolized by this jar. So you see, as far as the, as far as the ark, as far as the division between spiritual and the physical goes, from the perspective of the ark, there was no difference. It was one box. You get both of these forms of provision, the spiritual and the physical, in one place. God wanted this jar of manna in his presence. He wanted his people to be told about that and to be reminded. And he wanted us to know as well. He wants us to know that he does not stand above our material needs. He knows our needs. He created us. He provides for us. He's generous to us. And he wants his generosity to be known and to be acknowledged the jar of manna so close to him meant that he prized this highly, this, 
this being able to care for his people was something that, that God prizes highly. He wants to be a God who provides for us. Think about how, how undeserved this is. By nature, we are sinners. We do not deserve his provision in our lives. The day that, that our first parents sinned, they forfeited any right to God's support in their life. Sin is lawlessness and rebellion. Sin means that we deserve to have him deprive us of all provision, even our very life as punishment. So the fact that he provides for us any day is grace. The fact that you had lunch is grace. The fact that you can take your next breath is grace. It's all grace from moment to moment. You live out of grace. Jesus was born into this world as a human being. Jesus lived his life in complete spiritual and physical dependence on God. Jesus was the one who was truly deprived for our sake. God withdrew all provision, all support from him. As he died for our sins, everything was taken away from him bit by bit. Finally, even his breath. He died for sinners. His grace is undeserved. His provision is undeserved. As it was for the Israelites, the the grace that God gives to us in him is undeserved. And God's provision to us is undeserved as it was for the Israelites. So so that generosity of God that that, um, was represented by this jar of manna represents this whole history. It represents the um, undeserved grace of God. But it was in the ark. And so it means that they could be confident because the ark is a sign of mercy. It's a sign of God's forgiveness. It was actually possible for you, if you had sinned against God, to go to the tabernacle, to have the priest offer a sacrifice on your behalf, to have your sins forgiven, and then to know that, you, that God would continue to sustain you. You could pray the fourth petition, so to speak, and you knew that God would be merciful to you. You had the evidence right in front of you. The physical provision and the spiritual provision came from the same place. And God did that for his people then, and he does for us now because our forgiveness of sins came to us not just through the temporary means of animal sacrifices, but through the sacrifice of Jesus Christ himself. And so this jar of manna in the ark, when we read it with New Testament eyes, this tells us about God's faithfulness, tells us about God's desire to provide for his people through the ages. It tells us about God's reconciliation and his kindness towards us. It tells us that we can expect God to continue to provide, but not because we have it coming. It's fully undeserved. God alone can, can give these things to us out of grace. And he does that. And because he alone can give, we can honor him by asking. See, here's the thing. We don't, we're often told as, as children as well that you have to be thankful, right? If someone gives you something, what do you say? You say, thank you. Children are, are taught this from a very early age that you show gratitude by saying thank you. But we don't only honor God and show gratitude to him when we thank him. We honor him when we ask We honor him because in asking, we are calling on him to be gracious, 
We're calling on him to provide for us because of Jesus Christ. We, we believe that these things are true. And so asking God is actually a form of honoring him. That's, why, that's another reason why we need to keep on doing this regularly. We honor him because in asking, we're calling on him to be gracious and to provide for us because of Jesus Christ. And that's why we may ask confidently, because he gave us Christ. And like it says in Romans 8, if he gave us Christ, would he not together with him give us all things, including our daily bread? In John 6, Jesus called himself the bread of life. And he actually refers back to this story of the manna. He says to the people around him, it wasn't Moses who did this. It wasn't Moses who gave you the bread from heaven. My Father gives you the true bread from heaven. For the bread of God is he who comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. God is not just interested in keeping us alive. God wants us to be sustained spiritually. He wants us to be strengthened spiritually. And Jesus is that bread of life. Through Jesus we are we are strengthened. The graciousness that God showed us in, in feeding manna to his people in the desert is a graciousness that we see in its ultimate form in Jesus Christ. He wants us to have not only physical life, but eternal life. And this is, this is why we need to really think this week about the Lord's Supper that we hope to celebrate this coming Sunday, next week Sunday. Because that... Supper represents God's gracious provision for us in Jesus Christ. In that supper, we see that this, this dividing wall between the, the physical and the spiritual that, that exists in our mind, it, it disappears. And we, we only see God and we see his grace and we see his provision and his kindness and his goodness towards us. He wants us to have not just physical life, but eternal life. And that life is ours when we believe in Christ when we receive in faith his atoning sacrifice, it is free and generous and unlimited, even though it's undeserved. It's undeserved, but because he gives it to us, we can also expect it. That's our second point. Now, the priest on Judy would come near the ark, he would come near that jar, he would pray for his people. The jar meant that he could not only pray for spiritual things, he was allowed to pray for physical things as well. It gave confidence. God wanted him to ask for these things. God didn't want to be only the God of the spiritual part of life. He wanted to be the God of all of life. And, and that is just as true for us. Through Jesus Christ, we are God's children as well. And that's why you've got to look very carefully at the wording. That's why we are called to pray for our bread. It's an interesting word choice. It's our bread. It's not give us this day your bread which you give to us, which is how it could have been worded. But it says give us this day our daily bread. Even though it's given by him, it's our bread. Why? Because we have a right to it. We actually have a right to this bread. We come as God's children. He's reconciled us to him through Jesus Christ. We belong to him, so we come to him as his children, and we ask for our bread. We have the rights of children. 
These rights have been granted to us, but they're still our rights. When were they promised to us at our baptism? See, we witnessed a baptism this afternoon again, didn't we? Saw the baptism of little Orlando Harvey Tenhalf. And maybe it reminded us of the fact that we've been baptized even if we don't remember the event itself. In our baptism, God promises to adopt us. He promises to provide us with all good and avert all evil or turn it to our benefit. That promise includes our daily bread. Those promises were secured through Jesus Christ, through his sacrifice on the cross. He laid aside his rights as a son of God. He died so that we could become God's children. He was hungry. He was thirsty. The son of God had no place to lay his head. He did that so that we could become God's children. And children do not worry about whether or not there's a place at the table for them. Children know they have a spot at the table. They have a right to a spot at the table. They have a right to have dinner with their parents. They don't come home wondering whether or not there will be a place for them that night. You expect these things. And it's the same thing in our relationship with God. God encourages us to expect that, to have confidence in our relationship with Him. He calls us to depend on Him. That's why he, He says we must ask for our bread, and He does not want us to doubt. If we doubt anyway, we are doubting His goodness. We're doubting His word. We're doubting His promises. Think of what our Lord Jesus said in Matthew 7. Which of you, if a son asks for bread, will give him a stone? Or if he asks for a fish, will give him a serpent? If you then, who are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father who is in heaven give good gifts to those who ask him? See, even, even unbelievers know that children belong in the family. Jesus says to them, even though you're evil, you know this, so how much more would we belong as God's children? Now you may question that. Maybe you suffered great hardship and deprivation in your life. Maybe you've gone through great difficulties. Maybe even recently, maybe these things have really challenged your faith. Maybe you felt like you did receive stones and serpents when you prayed. Maybe it really threw off your faith life. Maybe you weren't expecting this at all, and, and then you hear a text like this, and it, it jars you. It sounds discordant. You have trouble putting the pieces together. Maybe the Israelites even felt that way in the desert sometimes. Yes, the Lord did eventually provide for them, but what was their state of mind before then? Even at the best of times, a desert is no place to take your family. So their response was wrong. It was a response of unbelief, but at least we can agree that it was understandable. But here's the thing. What they had to learn and what we should always remember, the key to this whole petition, is that we should never look to our circumstances for security. That's really the most important thing to remember when you pray this petition. You cannot look to your circumstances for security. The circumstances are there to teach trust. But the foundation of trust is not in the circumstances themselves. You don't trust only when it is going well and then withhold trust when it is not going well. 
The foundation of trust can never be in the circumstances. It always has to be in the promises. Because the circumstances can change from day to day, for better or for worse, but the promises always stay the same. And those promises were signified and sealed to you in baptism. God sealed those promises ultimately through the blood of Jesus Christ. Through Christ who can call him your father. So the circumstances are incidental. They're always incidental. Our, our, our security doesn't lie in the circumstances. Our confidence doesn't lie in the circumstances. Our security and confidence is eternal. It's in a person, not in provision. The circumstances are always incidental. There's something that is added onto our life but it is not something that defines our life. And you do not build your life on circumstances. The essence of who we are is defined by our relationship with God through Jesus Christ. As God's children, we can count on his blessing. The catechism alludes to that when it says, our care and our labor and also your gifts cannot do us any good without your blessing. God's Blessing is his favor in our lives. It is his assurance that things are well between him and us. That's what the blessing is. And everything comes out of that. So if you have the blessing, then not having enough does not mean that you are not blessed. That's just an incidental circumstance in your life. How do you know that you're blessed? Not because of your circumstances, but because you belong to God. Because he said so. Because you have a place at the table because of Jesus. And that can help us to navigate suffering in our lives. Because when we suffer, we know we belong to God regardless. In a sense, we're always blessed. Even if we had nothing, we would still be blessed because Christ suffered. Christ did not receive a blessing. At his darkest hour, God's favor was turned away from him. Even when he trusted perfectly. Even when he trusted in the face of the darkest circumstances that anyone could ever imagine. So we should not doubt. And when we doubt, when we struggle, we should pray the fourth petition anyway. Because it teaches us that we need to trust in God. It becomes a prayer against doubt. It becomes a prayer that that pushes back against doubt. Give us this day our daily bread. And keep us from doubt. It's a prayer in the face of our own skepticism. A prayer in the face of pain and difficulties. And it's a confession. A confession that everything that we receive from God is a gift. That we have no right to anything. That only God can give these things to us. That we want to honor him by praying for that and acknowledging that. Our daily bread ultimately comes from God, even when it's the product of our labor. God gives us strength. God gives us opportunities. God gives us energy. God gives us the ability to have an education. Everything comes from him. We just work with what he gives. Every day we're called to put our trust in him again. So praying this petition is a commitment from us that we are in this for the long haul as well, that we depend on him on a daily basis, not just not just. Once or twice, but every day of our lives. 
So trust becomes a pattern of our life. Trust is not just these bright dots in an otherwise dark life, but, but trust is regular. It becomes something like your daily food. It's something you, you encounter every day. It's a daily act of faith. And it's necessary for us as Christians because without faith, it is impossible to please God. That's what Hebrews 11 says. Faith confirms for us that we are His children. So we pray to God for all that we need, but our needs do not come first. His kingdom comes first. His name comes first. His name must be hallowed. His kingdom come. His will be done. And then we ask for provision. We, we pray that he would sustain us so that we could live our lives in his kingdom and in his wor- world. At the beginning, we noted that we often divide the world into physical and spiritual things, and we keep the two separate. But the jar of manna doesn't let us do that. It makes us bridge that gap. It tells us that God wanted his people to remember his commitment to them, that he wanted to remember that he would care for them, and that that care extends to every part of life. Every time that we eat our daily bread, every time that he provides for us, we may remember that he's committed to us, eternally committed to us through the blood of our Lord Jesus Christ. He is committed to us. He cares for us. He loves us. We're secure with him forever. Amen.